Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. It's time for From the Short Grass with Trey Shap, a golf podcast for those who love golf, struggle with golf, and just like to enjoy the outdoors and fellowship with friends, all while chasing a ball around trying to put it in a four and a quarter inch diameter hole. From the Short Grass is brought to you by Stevens Incorporated an independent financial services firm with the freedom to focus on what matters most. Blackman Auctions. For over 80 years, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels. We partner with you to deliver high-yield results by managing, developing, and investing in top-quality hospitality assets. And now, from the short grass, here is your host, Trey Schaap. Welcome to another edition of From the Short Grass. I am your host, Trey Shap. Glad you could join us this week. Were you able to watch any of the Farmers Insurance Classic from Torrey Pines over the weekend? Luke List wins in a playoff over Will Zalatoris. Will Zalatoris carrying that Simmons Bank logo proud on his chest. Will was so close to winning outright before his birdie putt on 18 just took a turn to the left. If that putt would have gone in, Will Zalatoris would have been your champion. Are you looking for a last-minute getaway somewhere in the state of Arkansas? Need a place to stay? Visit bphotels.com, Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels. You can find a great place for your next overnight stay. After the break, we will be joined via Zoom by the first Razorback Women's Scholarship golfer ever, Lisa Cornwell. Stay with us. This is Thomas Blackman of Blackman Auctions. Trey asked me to sponsor a show for another few months. Even though I don't like golf, I do like his show. I have no idea how he gets the awesome variety of guests on his show, but it is entertaining and informative even for a horrible golfer like myself. I'm learning a lot about the game and about the passion for playing. So much so, I've started using my country club for more than Sunday brunch. Trey makes golf interesting. I make auctions interesting. For auctions, listen to me. For golf, listen to Trey. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. Strength is measured not by the number of accounts. Strength is placing value on relationships. It's having the vision and the guts to invest in growth. It's the commitment to responsibly manage your money. At Stevens, we believe that our strengths build success, not only for us, but for our clients. Stevens, member NYSE, SIPC. With all the decisions you need to make about what to do in El Dorado, finding a place to stay is an easy one. The Haywood is uniquely positioned to make your stay one to treasure. Located in the historic Union Square district of El Dorado, the Haywood offers luxurious accommodations that feature contemporary, colorful rooms with high-quality bedding. Comfortable baths with walk-in showers and a spacious workspace with stylish plantation shutters that are unique additions to the stunning decor in a non-smoking environment. Make the Haywood your home away from home the next time you visit El Dorado. Welcome back to this edition of From the Short Grass. Joining us via Zoom, on the tee, Lisa Cornwell. Lisa Cornwell, thanks for joining me on From the Short Grass. First question, how are you? 
Oh my gosh, that's that's a big first question. I, <laughs> no, I'm I'm great, Trey. I, I really am. I'm better than I have been in a long time. Um, I'm seeing the sunshine today in Florida, and I'm off work, so life is really good. I'm thankful. I'm I've learned to be more grateful for things. I think the older that I get, I think for all of us too, you know, there's this sense of gratitude and I've been really fortunate in my life. Um, you know, knock on wood, my family's healthy. I'm paying my bills, you know, all those, all the basics I'm eating every day. So now life's really good. Thanks for asking. Well, there was a time where it wasn't so certain what your future was going to be. Is that correct? Oh my gosh. Like most of my adult life, I think. Um, (laughs) That's a long story in itself. Just the fact that I got into broadcasting was, um, it was just kind of by chance. And it was because I had friends. I mean, I was working at the Faded Rose in Little Rock after college. I literally had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, thought I was going to go to law school. And then um, I realized that that was not what I wanted to do. I know too many lawyers who, <laughs> who advised me otherwise. I really was lost. My dad and my sister were in sales. My mom was a nurse. It was, you know, I had no idea. And then I had some friends who worked at KARK there in Little Rock, and it sort of directed me down that career path. So, and then it's bounced around lately too. So I didn't know if I was getting out of the media or not, but here I am. And you get to follow a sport and work in conjunction covering a sport that you grew up to love, and that is golf. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Now, look, there was a time when I didn't love golf, and I never thought that I would want to work in the industry in any way. And even early in my broadcasting career, I didn't think that I would want to work in golf or work for Golf Channel. or It was never a, a desire of mine because I had lost love for the game, and that was kind of the last thing I wanted to do was to talk about golf. But Thankfully, you know, I mentioned the Faded Rose, my good friends, Ed and Zach David, the David's own it. Ed started it years ago, and I just became really close with them, and that's all they do is play golf. And they finally convinced me to go out and start playing golf with them again. And we'd go to Rebsman, and I wouldn't keep score, and I loved it. I just started loving it again, and I owe a lot of that to them. I mean, I really do. I don't know if I would have even worked for Golf Channel if it hadn't been for Ed and Zach getting me back in the game of golf. But when the when the Golf Channel call came, I was playing golf and loving it again, and it was an easy decision. And when did you first pick up a golf club? Well, I had, like a lot of kids, I had the plastic club. So I probably first picked up a plastic club when I, you know, when I could walk, maybe when I was two. But my parents, it's funny, I have it in my office here. I have little clubs that they built for me. Uh, there was a man, Mr. Armstrong in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He he built clubs and he built me these little, pers- this little persimmon seven wood, which I still have. And I still have the Gary Player Black Knight putter. I mean, it's, I don't know, 20 inches long. I was five. So it, it was a lot of years ago. <laughs> but you grew- can do the math. You probably right. know my age. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up in Fayetteville, though, and playing Fayetteville Country Club and around there and and then becoming a Razorback and playing golf at the University of Arkansas, that had to mean a lot to you growing up as close as you did to Fayetteville. Absolutely. And it was it was something that I never thought would happen, you know, because when I first went to college, Arkansas didn't have a women's golf team, which is why I had to leave. It's hard to believe to think about that. And that was kind of during my move into the rocky period of my relationship with the game and things didn't really turn out I think the way that I wanted to but looking back yeah it's it's such an honor I mean 
to say that I was the first scholarship player in program history will always mean a lot. I know it means a lot to my family and the connection with the university and with the golf team because of that it will always be strong. You know, Shauna calls me and invites me to all sorts of things. She includes me in, in everything. And it, it does. It means a lot. It, and it always will. And seeing the the golf team have the success that they have had over the years with Stacy Lewis being the first to win an NCAA individual championship up there, followed up by Maria Fossey. And now you have Brooke Matthews, who just turned pro a couple of weeks ago, who was up there on the golf team as well and helped them win an, an SEC championship. That has to make an alumnus like yourself proud. No doubt. Look at Gabby Lopez. I mean, she's already won on the LPGA tour. I mean, look, I wish that I'd had Shauna and Mike as my coaches. And and one thing that, you know, people don't, unless you play the sport competitively, it's a lonely game. I mean, when you play it at a high level and to be able to have that sort of that mentor and that life coach, and then you also have a real coach in Shauna, you know, she's kind of all of those. She really she puts her arms around those players. You know, she treats them as they're part of her family. And I really do. I wish that I'd had Shauna. I, I I don't know if I would have fallen out of love with golf. You know, I think that she would have found a way to make me passionate about it again. Because I think sometimes when you find, and I'm sure every every competitive golfer at some point goes through it. But when that moment happens to have the best people around you, not just your parents, like my parents would not have been able to do it for me, but to really have that compassion on the course and in practice and in competition and to be okay with sort of those low points. I think that, I think that that's why she's had a lot of success. I mean, you look at any coach, I think right now in this modern era, it doesn't matter what sport it is. Look at what Sam Pittman's doing. Look at what Eric Musselman's doing. I mean, they embrace and love their players. And you have to have that with college age kids because there's a lot of stuff going on and there there's even more going on today than there was in our day. So I really admire coaches who sort of have this family environment. And I, I think that that's so evident really in almost every sport up in Fayetteville. It really has become that atmosphere. If I could do it all again, I, I would love to play for Shauna. I think a lot of ladies would love to play for Shauna. No doubt about that. And plus, You've got the blessings to play every day. <laughs> is, there a, is there a better place in the, in the collegiate game to, to hone your craft? If you're a golf nut, just go out to the range that Johnny Tyson has built there, the short game facility this time of year. You know, Johnny's always been supportive of the university, and he's always been a, a good friend of mine and supportive. But what they've done there is incredible. And it's such a recruiting tool. I don't even like to practice and I want to go practice there. So <laughs> it changes things up a little bit. I don't think that you can be a golf nut or a golf geek and not just totally geek out at the blessings. It's such a cool spot. You talked earlier about the fact that it can be a lonely game because, I mean, you're by yourself a lot when it comes to the game of golf. You have to practice on your own. You don't have teammates that can go out there and help motivate you. So when you were growing up, your mom and dad taking you around to all the, the tour stops, if you will, for juniors around the country and everything, you kind of formed a relationship with a player who became pretty good, I would say. Tiger Woods and you go way oh, back. Oh, that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did all right. <laughs> <laughs> He's done all right and might continue to do all right in the future. I know, but when I see him, I, I still try to tell him that I can beat him. It was, you know, <laughs> he, he doesn't buy it. Um yeah, it's crazy. You know, I I was at in the Bahamas 
I'm trying to think how long ago that was a couple of years ago. And I got there a night early and I'd seen Tiger and we ended up watching a Monday night football game together. They have this theater at Albany. It's really cool. Um, we reminisced and told old stories and I reminded him of a story about it because I was really close with his dad. I mean, I was close with Tiger. We played a lot of golf, but his dad was kind of like a mentor to me and, and helped me a lot with my game. And I reminded him of this story. We we were at the Woodlands, Texas, and he and I both got there late. We would play a lot of practice rounds together. We got there late. I had some school issues and he had travel issues. And so we ended up playing a late practice round and we were on the range afterwards. And, you know, I'm just trying to get in as much work as I could do. And we're, we're just hitting balls. He's right next to me. And I feel this thump on my back. And I turned around and his dad, Colonel Woods, I always called him Colonel Woods. He was just standing there staring at me. And he was on his little chair that he always took with him. And so I hit another shot. And then I hit another shot. And I felt this thump again. And I looked down at my feet and there were these two pine cones. I mean, I love Colonel Woods, but I was also, you know, like had this fear of him too, just not fear because, you know, just the respect thing. Like I didn't want to upset him. So I whispered to Tiger, I was like, I think your dad's throwing pine cones at me. And he looked at me and he looked back at his dad and he just started giggling. He goes, Oh, he must not like the way you're practicing. And <laughs> it it was true. So I went back and said, Colonel Woods, you know what, what are you doing? He was like, why are you in such a damn hurry, Lisa? And then he, you know, he would he told me to watch Tiger and it is. And even if you watch Tiger now, he's very methodical in how he warms up. I would just fire off golf balls. That was just me. It's kind of my personality as it through everything. Well, Tiger would hit a shot and he would watch it. And then he would look at his club, maybe clean it. And it just was so boring to me <laughs> But he said, look, there's a purpose for what he's doing. You know, he's really thinking through this. And from that point on, I paid a lot more attention to it. Now I'm not saying I still didn't rifle golf balls in the range, but I tried not to. And it was a great, one of the many great learning experiences, but that was a funny moment. Remind, he remembered it. And we, uh, we laughed at, about that as well as many other stories and things that happened with us. Speaking of Tiger and his father, Earl Woods, what do you think got you more emotional when Tiger first won the masters and his dad was there to greet him or when Tiger won in 19 and he had Charlie, his son there to greet him as he came off the 18th green? More emotional was 19 and it wasn't because of Charlie. Like I thought that that moment was great. What made me emotional was seeing hug his mom and knowing, really knowing everything that he had been through. And look, he put himself in a lot of that, but that's part of it. You know, you're a public figure. He had to own it. He had to pay the public price for it. I know he was in a very dark spot for a little while. And so to see him bounce back, not just professionally, but personally, and get to share that experience with his mother who went through all of it with him. You know, his, his father passed away, I think, in 2005. And thankfully, Colonel Woods didn't see all of that, but his mom did. And that was a really emotional moment, I think, for me in a good way. Just thinking if you're a mother and, and you're a son and you get to share that embrace after all of those rocky moments, how special that is. And, and I know that, that it was something that was on his mind, too. You think he's going to be able to make it competitively again and play? I mean, we saw him play with his son back in November. Do you think Tiger's going to be able to play at the highest level again in these majors coming up? Well, I think he wants to, and I think he's going to give it a go. If anybody can do it, it's him. He's relentless in that regard. Um, I don't think he knows the answer to that question right now. I think that he's just trying to physically work through. I mean, that was a bad injury. Yeah. And 
to be quite honest, I don't really care. He's healthy. He's enjoying this moment with not just with Charlie, but with both of his kids. And he's in a good place. He has his leg. He has, I think, a greater appreciation for everything, even more so now. And I don't think he would be devastated if he doesn't play, honestly. But again, if anybody can do it, he can. I guess time will tell in terms of the pressure with that ankle. That's that's a big injury for a golfer, as you well know. Yeah, no doubt about it. When you think about your career and where you got to the Golf Channel and then things happened at the Golf Channel and you were like, okay, I can't take this anymore. Can you kind of explain to those that listen to From the Short Grass what happened kind of in a condensed version and we won't get into all the details, but just basically, <laughs> because there's a lot we could go into, but just yeah. basically what happened with you and then your departure from the Golf Channel. It is an awfully long story. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm not one of those people who will just sit back and, and watch things happen. And so that was part of it. I started watching certain things happen in the beginning and the way certain people were treated. And then it started carrying over to me a little bit. I mean, you know, I've talked about, I've talked about Chambly and my issues with him, but just because you have a sour relationship with somebody who you work with, and first of all, I have no idea why Randall Chambly never liked me, never did, never will, whatever. Um, but it shouldn't cost you your job. But then I just, I started noticing little by little things that happened that, you know, I would link up that the executive producer who hired me, I always had a great relationship with her until things with her husband. This is the big issue. You have a husband and wife team working together. I ended up reporting directly to him and he's married to her and he and Shambly were tight. And so somehow that relationship bled over to something with him. Once he came in control, he, he was there as them, as the content, uh, senior vice president of content editorial, nothing to do with production. He doesn't have a production background, but he ended up being my direct boss. And the minute that this thing escalated with Chambly that I wasn't going to put up with anymore and he got involved, which I didn't know that it would adversely affect me. Well, it did. And that relationship between him and me kind of went sideways. And then all of a sudden it did with Molly. And that was basically the downfall. My opinion, if her husband had never taken over head of production, which he was head of talent at all, it still is mind boggling, especially for NBC to allow that in this day and age. I don't think that all of this would have happened, but yeah. it happened. It's unfortunate. I'm doing my best to try to do something about it, not just there, but to let people know that you can't treat people like this. You know, it's really simple. I do a lot of work now for the PGA Tour and PGA Tour Live. They're phenomenal, but it starts at the top in how you treat people. And I'm really grateful to them that, you know, that that all the stuff that happened with Golf Channel hasn't affected that negatively. I just hope that it does some good. I hope that it does some good there. I hope that it does some good elsewhere, just in terms of how you treat people. Because in this day and age, you, you just got to treat people with respect. I've seen that you've played some golf in Australia. You've caddied a little bit in your time <laughs> between. And and now, as you mentioned, PGA Tour Live with uh, ESPN Plus coming on board with some of that. You're back doing what you love now. And that's commenting on and, and broadcasting around a golf tournament. 
Yeah, it's been great. Plus doing play by play, I always have an analyst here. And so, you know, I'm one of those people, I don't just do it for the viewer. I do it for myself. Like, how would you play this shot? What what, what are they doing here? You know, I mean, I'm doing it with some personal stuff in mind, but no, it's great. I, I've been able to work with, like I said, so many good people. Um, they are doing just so much work up there. I can't, I don't know how they're keeping it all straight. I mean, you're talking about four different live streams throughout the season, different groups. But it's it's been great. I mean, it's a really good time to be a golf fan. It's good. It's a good time for somebody like me to be in the business, to be able to be a part of it. It was an easy transition. You know, like you said, even though I've, I've never really done play by play for golf, it's not entirely, you know, out of the element of what I've done before. Just knowing the game helps and trying to trying to learn each week and and get better and talk less and rely on my analysts more and, you know, just keep asking them questions so I can get little tips. The Arkansas Sports Hall of Fame. You're a member. You're also a member of the ASGA Hall of Fame. What does that mean to Lisa Cornwell? I don't know that I can put it into words. I mean, I, I remember I remember when I first got the the ASGA call and it was really emotional. That's when a lot of this stuff too with Golf Channel was starting. I'd just gotten some news about being taken off the tournament and then that happened and it couldn't have come at a better time. But it was emotional for me. Uh, that one especially, I think, because it was it was just golf. It was just about golf. And, and I knew everybody who was there, I probably in some way was connected to them one way or another. And so that was that was a big deal, big deal for me and for my family. The Sports Hall of Fame, I, honestly, I was surprised about. You know, there are people who who haven't gone in yet, who I still think should be ahead of me. I mean, I'm extremely grateful for it. And you never know with, with that, if that was all because of golf or maybe some, some broadcasting, um, just some different things. So yeah, they're both just incredible honors. Anybody who knows me knows how much I care about my home state. I, I just, I love it. I'm so proud to be an Arkansan. There aren't better people in the world than Arkansans. I love to come home. I love to come home and play golf and see my friends like you. It's, you know, it doesn't happen often enough, but it happens enough that I still feel, feel very connected to the state. And I always will. And I will always be home all the time. Speaking of family, you have a very famous family member that also loves the game of golf that you get to play golf with on occasion. When's the last time you got to play with President Clinton? You know, we, it's funny. We were talking we were talking last week and how long it's been really because of COVID. That's one thing. But I, we talk all the time, which is great. So I still feel connected to him in that way. But but I miss getting out on the golf course with him. It's It's been a few years since we've actually played golf. How many strokes do you have to give him? You know, we don't really – we don't do that anymore. I don't even keep score. Um, it's so funny because – I guess that they don't really do this anymore, but for so many years, they're like, oh, you know, Bill Clinton loves to take these mulligans and take, you know, <laughs> I tell people, I'm like, he's not trying to get a handicap. You know, he's not like not submitting this <laughs> to the USGA. He's just and having just, fun. Well, and I mean, if you're Bill Clinton, you don't really get to go to the practice range. You know, you don't get to go hit balls on the driving range. And so we have fun usually just when it's him and me, we go out there and play and hit different shots and try to work on something in the swing. Um, yeah, we just, we go out there and it's really to socialize. And I mean, obviously we want to, we want to hit good shots and try to get better. He's always asking for, for some kind of tip, but he loves the game as much as anybody I know. He also loves Arkansas as much as anybody I know. And, um, 
I look forward to the next time when we can get to Rebsman and tee it up again because it's been way too long. Fantasy foursome. Who would be in your fantasy foursome, living or deceased? Oh, goodness. I'd put Bill and Tiger in there. Is it four people or four total, including uh, me? Uh, How does it say it? It could be a fivesome. It could be okay, a fivesome. We'll go, we'll go five? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd go Bill and Tiger, Nancy Lopez. Boy, that fifth one's going to be hard. I would say my dad, but he'd just, he'd hold us up. He could watch. He could drive my car. <laughs> Part. Too slow. <laughs> too slow. I put my uh oh man, that's tough. I, I guess I'd put my buddy Zach David in there. There you go. Not bad. Not yeah. bad at all. Lisa, thanks so much for the time. It's awesome talking to you. Thanks for having me, Trey. Are you looking for a good auction to attend? Go to blackmanauctions.com. Check out their lineup of auctions. There are several of them coming up. You want a good auction? Blackman Auctions are good auctions. Since 1938, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. We're back with our weekly rules segment with Adam Carney after this. With all the decisions you need to make about what to do in El Dorado, finding a place to stay is an easy one. The Haywood is uniquely positioned to make your stay one to treasure. Located in the historic Union Square district of El Dorado, the Haywood offers luxurious accommodations that feature contemporary colorful rooms with high quality bedding. Comfortable baths with walk-in showers and a spacious work space with stylish plantation shutters that are unique additions to the stunning decor in a non-smoking environment. Make the Haywood your home away from home the next time you visit El Dorado. This is Thomas Blackman of Blackman Auctions. Trey asked me to sponsor a show for another few months. Even though I don't like golf, I do like his show. I have no idea how he gets the awesome variety of guests on his show, but it is entertaining and informative even for a horrible golfer like myself. I'm learning a lot about the game and about the passion for playing. So much so, I've started using my country club for more than Sunday brunch. Trey makes golf interesting. I make auctions interesting. For auctions, listen to me. For golf, listen to Trey. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. On the tee with our weekly rules segment, Adam Carney. Adam, this email comes in from Brian in Chicago. Is there a set of winter rules, in quotations, in his email for those of us that play up north in the cold? And my question is, how do you play up north in the cold? One, Brian. Two, is there snow on the ground all the time? Or (laughs) do you look for a day when it gets up to 50 and you can actually get out and play? But he brings up a good question there. Winter rules. Because in playing sometimes... In the south, when the grass is not green, it's gone dormant. Mm -hmm. Some people like to bring in winter rules, but the USGA doesn't have winter rules. I mean, we're Arkansans, so we we (laughs) don't really know what winter is. So, you know, does the USGA have a set of winter rules? No. Uh, Will they ever have a set of winter rules? No. Um, You know, there are conditions of competition that can be added, lift, clean, place, um, you know, through the green. Let's, let's be honest. If you're playing golf in in January in Chicago, you happen to get a, a a balmy 27 degree day with just a little bit of snow on the ground. You decide you want to play. You're not playing in a competition, and and you're really going out to play just because you got a chance to swing a golf club and hit a golf ball. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that's a situation where you determine amongst the group of guys that you're playing with. Hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna play for a few shekels here, but we're gonna lift clean in place everywhere, and you know. Under those circumstances, I my personal opinion is do what you want to do because you're not playing in a competition. You're not you're not hurting or hindering yourself. It's 
it's the middle of winter, you're just getting out and having an opportunity to hit some golf shots. I mean, so. There are a lot of clubs, though, that have these Eskimo scrambles or Eskimo tournaments, maybe an Eskimo four ball or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, but they need to put on the notice to competitors, lift clean in place within a club length or a scorecard, score whatever. Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of one of those things. I've never had to deal with it too much. Um, well, you don't want to be running a tournament in the middle of winter when it's cold. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there. I mean, I know at at, at one time, uh, you know, snow and ice were determined to be casual water. Um, however, manufactured ice was not. It was an obstruction. Um, so, you know, I guess under those circumstances, I mean, I guess the rules kind of cover some of that stuff. Um, I don't think anything really changes, I guess, you know, as I think about it. Um, and again, I just don't have a wealth of experience you know, playing golf in the snow. Uh, but, you know, the rules pretty much cover it. And really what we're talking about is, hey, we're going to play lift clean in place within one club length of where the ball lay and, and, and you know, every, everywhere in the fairway, the rough, whatever. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, again, I think if you're playing golf in the middle of the winter, you're you're in Chicago. Uh, you're you're lucky to be out doing anything outside exactly. of Chicago. Yeah, in no winter, doubt. So no doubt, no doubt about that. Well, Brian in Chicago, thanks for the email and um, man, bundle up and uh, enjoy it uh, when you can get out there. I'd like to uh, maybe maybe we take a trip up to Chicago. Some August February would, August would be fine with me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd be course. happy to go up and play Madonna, Butler, or whatever <laughs> yeah. in, in August. Chicago Golf Club. Easy. Uh, Brian, thanks again for that email. If you've got a question on the rules of golf, send us an email, from the shortgrass at gmail.com. That will do it for this edition of From the Shortgrass. I'll leave you with this golf quote from Arthur Daly. Golf is like a love affair. If you don't take it seriously, it's no fun. If you do take it seriously, it breaks your heart. Hopefully your heart doesn't get broken the next time you're on the course, but when you find your ball mark, fix it and a couple of more, and I hope to see you from the short grass. You've been listening to From the Short Grass, a weekly podcast dedicated to the game of golf. This has been a presentation of the Buzz Radio Network.